Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as interim pastor Kyle Julius shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Kyle. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Jonah, uh, where we will pick up our exposition uh, this morning. We're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 3 and looking at the entire verse. So if you're in the book of Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, help us all to be good students of your word here this morning. Uh, give us ears to hear. May we see uh, wonderful things in your word. Because your steadfast love is better than life, our lips will praise you. We pray, pray that you would bless this time together. Pray that you'd bless the reading and hearing of your word and the preaching of it, Lord. May I preach only that which you want your people to hear. And may you be glorified and your people be edified here. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as the Reformation began to take flight, Martin Luther was approached with this question. Explain what is taking place here in Europe. Uh, explain the Reformation. To which Luther gave this famous response. I simply taught preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then I slept. And the word so greatly awakened the papacy that never a prince and never an emperor inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing. The word did it all. You know, much of the world's greatest revivals uh, were not because someone or some group of people were awesome or sufficient or had the right gimmick to bring people 
to have the Word of God bear on their souls and hearts. No, no, no. These were plain, most of people in history that we read about, like Martin Luther, who is an Augustinian monk. Right? They were plain and ordinary, but they had one conviction that made the difference. Here's the conviction that they had. The conviction was that the Word of God is totally and completely sufficient in all matters of faith, life, and practice. Is that they held that the Word of God was enough. It was completely sufficient. And if we take away anything from Jonah chapter 3 this morning, it is this. That God's people faithfully speak God's Word. We can trace every uh, great awakening or revival or conversion experience among groups of people to faithful people of God faithfully speaking God's Word. And, And Jonah 3 is no different. What we see here in Jonah 3 is one of the world's, or one of history's greatest revivals among unlikely people. All because God's people, people, or prophet rather, faithfully spoke God's word. And, and, and what happens when we faithfully speak God's word? That's the question I want us to consider this morning as we look through Jonah chapter 3 is what will happen when God's people faithfully speak God's word? And I want us to look at two miracles that take place when this happens. When we are committed to the sufficiency of the Word of God in our lives and in the lives of others to come know God through Christ, two miracles are going to take place. We see the first miracle in verses 1-5 through in Jonah chapter 3 this morning. When we faithfully speak God's Word, ears will hear and believe. Ears will will hear and believe. The first scene of chapter 3 opens almost identically to the first scene in chapter 1. You know, when directors are filming a movie, often there needs to be multiple takes for a particular scene. So chapter 3 could be titled or began with The Life of Jonah, Chapter 1, Take 2. In other words, uh, Jonah gets a second uh, take at his divine task. Despite his downward descent into avoidance and apathy that we looked at in chapter 1, Jonah the prophet is given a second chance. As I was studying this this week, I just thought to myself, praise God for second chances, you know, for redemption and, and redos. And we can all resonate with Jonah in this sense. Just like we can resonate with his apathy in chapter 1, we can resonate with the second chance that God had given him to carry out the task. And I'm sure if the book of Jonah was a, more than four chapters, we'd see third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance, sixth chance. I'm sure this isn't the only time in Jonah's life where God had given him a redemptive redo. So it, while chapter 3 begins kind of similar to uh, chapter 1, we see the divine second chance at the divine task that Jonah has. And we see some other differences that are worth noting as well. If you look at verse 2, the first is God's, God adds Jonah's call. He adds something to Jonah's call that he didn't in chapter 1. God wants to make sure... Okay, in, uh, sorry, verse 2b, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So in chapter 1, verse 2, it was arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And now God has added, call out against it the message that I tell you. God wants to make sure here in Jonah that his message is heard loud and clear. Uh, How easy it is for us to muddy the message of salvation with our own opinions. 
right, with our own preferences or solutions or, or versions of the gospel of grace that make it more palpable for ears to take in. You know, we have, we have two uh, temptations here when we are called to speak the word of God faithfully. The one temptation is, is that we want to be liked or well thought of. I don't know if Jonah had this problem with Nineveh, as we're going to see later on. But a temptation for all of us is to speak the word of God insofar as it makes people still like us or think highly of us, or it doesn't offend them, or it doesn't hurt them, or even bring light to their own sin or way or the standard of God. And so when we're called to speak the word of God, part of that faithfully speaking the word of God is all of the word of God to everyone. If that's one temptation, the other temptation is, you know, maybe, maybe I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I'm a human golden retriever. I've told everybody this, and, and I pretty much like anybody I come across, but some people just don't like anybody, you know. Uh, so I mean, maybe, maybe you're the type of person that, like, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't really care if people like me as long as they just stay, like, 10 feet away from me uh, or, or that, you know, they don't get up in my space or take up my time. So if on one hand we have a temptation to be well thought of, well liked, there's another temptation to basically withhold. And maybe, maybe we're not going to say anything to anybody. Or, or, or maybe we're going to bring up non-salvific issues and areas of disagreement with those who don't know the sovereign God of the universe magnified in Jesus. Right? Given the relationship Israel had with Nineveh, I can only imagine Jonah would have wanted to say a lot of things to the people of Nineveh. Right? He would have wanted to raise a host of issues with the people of Nineveh. Right? His own flesh would have wanted to bring up anything but how they can know his God. How they can come to have a relationship and how they could be a part of the covenant community of Israel. So if on one hand we want to say things that make us well-liked, there's another temptation for us to bring up stuff or withhold the message because there are other things. We want, to, we want to bring up things that we disagree about with other people you know, just to kind of cause contention or just to bring out the fact that you know, they have a, a lesser view of things than you do. So we have, we have a temptation to not say anything at all or some of the truth, or we have a temptation... Uh, to say everything and anything but the thing that actually matters, the message of God's grace in Christ, right? So God calls Jonah, and this second chance that he gets at his call, God wants to make it very clear, do not muddy the message that I'm giving to you, but speak everything that I have given you to tell to the people of Nineveh without withholding, without making it less difficult to hear. No matter what reaction you get, tell them everything I have told you. So we see, uh, we see a second and primary difference. So that's the first difference of the call here. And of course, the second and primary difference that we have between chapter 1 and chapter 3 uh, is that Jonah actually does what he's told. If you continue, we get a little bit more uh, detail. We see that Jonah actually arises. And then as we continue in chapter 3, we see that Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So we also get a little bit more detail about Nineveh. Now, unfortunately, the book of Jonah doesn't give us a lot of detail about this city. 
It doesn't give us any really detail about who the king of Nineveh was. And again, when we come across stuff like this, when we don't have a lot of detail, remember the author's trying to make big theological points, and he's not trying to highlight secondary issues. And so what we see here, what we do know about Nineveh, is that it says that it was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. In other words, Nineveh was big. It was a big place. It took three days just to travel through it. Uh, but more importantly, we find that the city was important to God. Commentators suggest that, and maybe some of you have in your Bibles, in uh, a little footnote at the bottom, that this could also be translated as a great city to God. In other words, Nineveh was important to God. Right? Nineveh mattered to God. He cared for the ungodly Nineveh. Uh, He cared uh, that their evil had come up before him. God took thought of them and how that great city had a great need. And so while Jonah might not have thought much of Nineveh, God thought much of Nineveh. While Jonah might have had a prejudice to Nineveh, God did not have a prejudice to Nineveh. While Jonah might want to have withheld the word of God from Nineveh, God wanted the word of God to be brought to Nineveh. You see, we have to ask ourselves this question, do we care about the things that God cares about? Because if we care about the things that God cares about, then we're going to say the things that God has said to the people that God cares about. Do we care about the things God cares about? Do our hearts long for the things and the people He longs for? Imagine the people that you would want to you know, kind of distance yourself from. Or maybe, you know, you're, you couldn't imagine having your neighbor uh, next door or across the road or that person at work that you really have no, you know, they, their, their views bother you. The, their voice bothers you. The way they do things bother you. But, but imagine, uh, you know, and you wouldn't want them to come in close proximity to you, or you just don't even strike up, a, striking up a conversation with them about religious things or, or, or God or scripture or the gospel is just too much of an inconvenience for you. You don't want to get into that with that person. You might as well not with that person. And yet God shows us here through his word that the persons and the people that we often want to avoid or distance ourselves from, God says, go to that, go to that people. Go to that people. Start that conversation. Talk about the word. Speak the word faithfully. The scene continues in verse 4 through 5. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Uh, According to the 1980 Guinness Book of Records, The longest sermon ever preached lasted 23 hours. It was preached between the 18th and 22nd of September, uh, 1978, by the Reverend Donald Thomas of Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Don't worry, I have no intention on matching or breaking that record (laughs) this morning or on any other Sunday. But I would have to guess that if Reverend Donald Thomas preached the longest-running sermon, then Jonah would be in the Guinness Book of Records for the shortest. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. That'll preach. 
That's a classic turn or burn message right there. In fact, in Hebrew, it's only five words. Now, you know, maybe Jonah expounded on his message a little more than what we have recorded here, right? I mean, he had three days of ground to cover, uh, so I'm assuming his conversations were a little bit more than those five Hebrew words. Uh, but I think, you know, but I think one of the reasons why we don't really know this is because, again, the silent prophet, we're not, the whole point of the book is not to make much of Jonah. So we don't have an impressive speech here recorded of Jonah's preaching. We don't come away thinking, wow, what an amazing orator Jonah is. What a fantastic preacher Jonah is. Look at his elegance in, in preaching the message that God had given him. No, 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 no. We don't read that. We read five, well, in, in Hebrew, it's five words. We read, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Because the, the miracle, look, the miracle is not Jonah's preaching in this passage. The miracle of this passage, and the thing about this scene is that it's not Jonah's preaching abilities, but it's the miracle that, this whole, that the people actually respond to the message. It's not Jonah. It's the God of Jonah. It's the God of the Word that he's bringing to bear on these people's hearts. Notice in verse 5, let's just read that one more time. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Notice whom the people of Nineveh believed. Did you notice that? Did you catch that there in that passage? It wasn't that the people of Nineveh stopped and believed Jonah. They weren't impressed with his logic. They weren't impressed with his charisma. No, the people of Nineveh heard the word of God and they believed God. They didn't hear the message as Jonah's words, but as God's words. And that's the miracle of this scene, is that those who have ears to hear actually heard. They were not like those whom Jesus, in quoting Isaiah, says of the people in Matthew 13, through 13 verses 14. This is what Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will, ev- you will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. You know, Jesus spoke to the, you know, when Jesus was speaking that, he was speaking to the people who sat in the synagogues every Sabbath. He was speaking to the people that should have heard. And here we have in Jonah the people who should not have heard, actually heard. And they responded to the word of God. They could have easily ridiculed and rejected Jonah's message as being nonsense, right? Or as the Athenians referred to Paul in Acts 17, 18 as a babbler. Could have easily just thrown Jonah off to the side as though he was just babbling again. But they didn't. They heard the word of God because the word that God had given Jonah to proclaim was given. What God wanted Jonah to say, that's what Jonah relayed. You see, when we faithfully proclaim the Word of God, ears open. You might ask, you might be having a question running through your head right now. Well, Kyle, I have spoken the Word of God to others, uh, and they don't believe. Am I doing something wrong here? 
Because I'm hearing you say, God, God's people faithfully speaks God's word, and when God's word is spoken, then ears are going to be open, and they're going to, we're going to have this great revival happening. Am I doing something wrong then if, God, if people are not responding to the word of God? Well, maybe. Maybe. If the point were to successfully speak the word of God. But that's not what the text calls for. Uh, and so that's not what this point calls for. Jonah was just asked to faithfully carry out his task of relaying the word of God. You know, God did not inform him on the outcome. <laughs> Jonah's task was not dependent on the outcome. For all Jonah knew, he was walking into hostile territory. And in fact, that's, that's what he did know. He knew he was going into a people, into a city, into a nation that didn't like his nation, that didn't have the same views that they had. No, Jonah, Jonah was asked to faithfully carry out this task. He wasn't told what the outcome was going to be. And that begs the question, should we be concerned with the outcomes or simply carrying out the orders? Should we be, should we, like, how many, uh, how many of us have, have, have kept from speaking the word of God faithfully in a situation where the situation allows itself, where, where it's open, where we have a relationship with somebody, and the door opens for us to then go ahead and speak the word of God to show them Christ and his word? And we have stopped ourselves because we don't know how this is going to turn out for us. You know, I might be looked at as weird. You know? Which, by the way, that's like the most persecution we get here in, in, in the West. is like we might be thought weird. We might be thought backwards. We might, be, we might lose a friend. We might not be invited back. We spend so much time thinking about outcomes and fail to carry out the order. Look, Jonah was asked to faithfully carry out the word of God regardless of what the outcome is going to be. Uh, interestingly enough, Jonah's father's name, Amitai, uh, actually means faithfulness. In other words, uh, when chapter 1 introduced Jonah as Jonah the son of Amitai, it could be also understood as Jonah the son of faithfulness. It just adds to the irony of Jonah that the son of faithfulness would be unfaithful. We see what happens when he was not faithful to carry out his task, and, and now God is giving us a picture in these first couple verses in Jonah 3 about what fruit comes when the son of faithfulness actually is just faithful in carrying out the task. Can that be said of us? Can it be said that we're faithful, that we are faithful to speak the word of God regardless of the outcome? You see, friends, we have no idea what God is doing. We don't know the time of his divine appointments. I mean, we looked at last week in chapter 2 how God was the appointer of all that has come into our lives. And, and we also read in chapter 2, verse 9, that salvation belongs to the Lord. So if salvation belongs to the Lord, then that settles it. Salvation doesn't belong to your oratory skills. Salvation doesn't belong to your personality. It doesn't belong to the right circumstance or right situation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You are not a salesman for the kingdom of God. You're just a mailman. You just bring the message. God is the one who makes ears to hear. God is the one to make the blind to see and the heart to be born again. You can't do this. Of course you cannot produce a new heart in another person. 
That person can't even produce a new heart in themselves. Jesus put it this way in Mark uh, 4, 1 through 9. You might be familiar with this as the parable of the sower. So just to illustrate this, I'm going to just use an illustration of uh, the ultimate preacher. Uh, Jesus, he began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And as he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Jesus, of course, goes on to explain what this means in verses 13 through 20 in Mark 4. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? <laughs> Jesus says, this is the easiest parable I've said. How you, if you can't understand this one. He goes on to explain, the sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on rocky places, who, when they heard the word, immediately received it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed it was sown on good soil. And they heard the word and accept it and bear fruit, 60, or 30, 60, and 100-fold. Friends, the miracle of this scene is that a group of unlikely people, the people that Jonah would have never expected, heard the word of God and recognized it as the word of God, and as a result, believed God. And in this way, the people of Nineveh had much in common with the church in Thessalonica when Paul writes to them in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 where he writes, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word from men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers not only, and notice, uh, they not only heard this to be the word of God, uh, but because they heard and received it as the word of God, these people were justified before God that day. Once they received the word of God and recognized it as the word of God, they believed God and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. These were a group of justified believers. These were a group of people that the God of Israel was now okay with. God was saying, you're right before me, and I belong to you, and you belong to me. And you might be asking, like, well, how do you know this, Kyle? Well, I know because Romans 4, 3 through 5. Romans 4, uh, chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Paul writes, Abraham believed God, and it was what? 
counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Jesus said the same thing to the crowds that he fed in John chapter 6. The crowds looked at him and said, "Uh, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. John 6, 28-29. Look at this. Uh, the, The people of Nineveh believed God, and Jesus looks at the crowd and says, this is the work of God that you believe. In other words, that the fact that they believed this, the fact that Jonah's message had bore on their souls and hearts, and they believed and responded in faith, Jesus says, that's the work of God. That's the work of God in somebody else's life. The fact that you believe this is God working in you, and this is not of yourself. So wicked, faithless Nineveh, religious, immoral Ninevites just got saved because Jonah was finally faithful in speaking the word of God to the people he didn't like. Jonah was finally faithful in speaking the word of God to the people. You know, you know I think we would see more people come to faith. You know, and this is just a theory. You know, I'm just guessing on this one, so don't take, this is not the word of the Lord I'm about to say, um, but I'm just guessing, we would probably see, we would have a discipleship issue if we decided to actually preach the word of God to people we think aren't going to want to actually hear the word of God. We would probably see more people come to Christ if we decided to stop picking and choosing who we were going to share the gospel with, who we were actually going to bring the word of God to. Because you might be thinking, like, no, 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 they're not going to believe. They're set in their ways. Have you ever thought about that before? Like, that person is just too set in their ways. This person and I, we don't agree, we don't get along. To bring this up would just to, would be to cause a problem. It'd be cause an issue. Or we see people or pockets of cultures within our own community, and we think, no, 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 we're not going to bring the word of God to them because they're not going to receive the word of God. Why do that? That's a discipleship issue. That is that what you're saying is that God's word might not be sufficient. So we read this, and and we're confronted with, are we faithful in speaking the word of God? You might say, well, Jonah was a prophet. Kyle, Jonah was a prophet. Surely I don't need to speak the word of God to people. Uh, can Can I just live my life and then people will see something awesome, right? Or different, maybe. Maybe not awesome. Maybe they'll just, you know, I've heard people say, well, if I just live differently... And then people are going to see something different. Yeah, sure, they'll see something different, but, but faith doesn't come from seeing, friends. Faith does not come from seeing. Faith comes by the word of Christ. In other words, you have to ask yourself, we have to ask ourselves, does Romans 10, 14 through 17 apply to me? Where the Apostle Paul writes to the church, not to preachers, by the way, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? In other words, Paul is saying in Romans, not everybody's going to believe, but some will. And then he rounds the, the verse off in, in verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. We all, we all, we're all familiar with the song, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, uh, for the Bible tells me so. 
It's such a simple you know, children's song, but uh, how much truth and depth and gospel fruit is in that tiny little song that are for kids, right? Uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. Well, how do you know that Jesus loves you? Because the Bible told me so. Each and every single one of us found out that Jesus Christ loves us because of the Word of God spoken to us. None of us have come to faith outside of the Word of God faithfully being spoken to us. Friend, if you hear Christ today, the Word made flesh, who came to dwell among us and to die for sins and rise three days later so that through faith in Him, we could be reconciled to God, you could be reconciled to God, clothed in His righteousness. If you hear that this morning, if you hear If you have ears to hear, then God's word in Hebrews 4, 7 says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. To wrap up this point, here's the challenge. If you know him, friends, saints of God, if you know him, preach him. And if you don't know him, come to him. If you know him, preach him. Faithfully speak the word of God. Because when we faithfully speak the word of God, the miracle of ears being opened will happen and belief will take place. Uh, The second miracle that occurs in our text this morning is when we faithfully speak God's word, hearts will be humbled and made new. Uh, The second scene is just as miraculous as the first. Uh, We read in verse 6, The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So in verse 5, we read that from the greatest of them to the least of them believed and turned, and here we see that play out. Uh, we, 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 we see here, the, think about it, the most unlikely individual, the one who had it all, the one who had all the power, all the fame, all the control, everything that he could have ever wanted. He had subjects and subjects and subjects. Here we have the king of Nineveh coming down from his throne and praising the king of, king of kings. So when the text says in verse 5, the greatest from the least, we get introduced to the greatest here in verse 6. Uh, as he removes his robe, uh, the sackcloth here that he would have covered himself with, uh, sackcloth was a thick, uh, coarse cloth normally made from uh, goat's hair. Uh, To wear it symbolized the rejection of earthly comforts and pleasures. And so here's somebody who has everything. And he gets to the point where the word of God reaches him and he realizes he's bankrupt. The beautiful thing about the gospel, friends, is that one day we're going to meet the king of Nineveh in the throne room, and we're going to be praising with the king of Nineveh, the king of kings, sitting at the throne of grace. Our brothers and sisters from Nineveh will be welcoming us 
into the kingdom. You know, the heart is a complex and, and wicked thing. Uh, Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 17, 9-10, who can understand it? Uh, who can understand it? Moreover, uh, who or what can penetrate it? At the heart of every issue in, in the world is a heart issue. It's a heart condition. And that, friends, cannot be fixed by any human endeavor. No human counsel, no form of government, no policy, no legislation, nothing can change or penetrate or understand the human heart except the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and in the intentions of the heart. In other words, the author of Hebrews says the layers upon layers upon layers of the human heart cannot be peeled back and fixed and transformed and changed unless it is the Word of God. And that's what salvation is, by the way. Right, what's happening here in this scene with the king of Nineveh, who rises from his throne, removes his robe, puts on a heavy coat, and sits in ashes, and then, and then he, actually does, he actually invites other people into this repentance with him. He actually calls out, and he says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. That's, that only happens by a person who has a new heart, and salvation is a new heart. Look, if you're here this morning and you think being a Christian is about being a better person rather than being a new person, you have misunderstood the gospel of Christ. You have misunderstood what all of the books of the Bible have been pointing at. Ever since Genesis 3, the heart has become deceitfully wicked. And God said the cure to the heart is going to be Jesus. Death, resurrection, and faith in Him produces this new heart. All the new covenant, by the way, is about a new heart. It's about a heart transplant here. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17-21 through 21. I, can't, I, don't, I don't know of a more beautifully articulated gospel presentation in the New Testament than the one that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17-21. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It may be your Christianity is not working because your Christianity is not the one according to that gospel. If you believe that being a better person or just having the, the, having the right words or the right life or the right morals or the right whatever it is, look, none of that's going to matter unless your heart is new. And that's what happened to the king of Nineveh. Look, the king of Nineveh didn't need to stop being the king of Nineveh. Uh, try to say that one about ten times fast. 
He didn't need to stop being the king of Nineveh. What he really needed was to become a son of the king of the, the universe here. And, and that's what happened. Right? Uh, he didn't need to become uh, national Israel. He didn't need to, 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 to change his, whatever it was. Look, when a heart transplant takes place, you're going to see true fruit. The king of Nineveh had a heart transplant that day. And as a result, humbled and pleaded for others to do the same. Uh, verse 10, what are the results? What were the results of, of this word? Uh, notice Jonah hasn't showed up in any of this, by the way. Uh, Jonah is not the highlight of our chapter here this morning. Jonah says five Hebrew words and he disappears into the background. And he'll show up in chapter 4 and he's not going to show up in a good light. But in verse 10, the end results of all of this, was that God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, we might be tempted to think, isn't that nice? God just turned a blind eye and swept it under the rug. Right? We might be tempted to think, uh, as I have often heard from uh, many people outside of the Christian faith, um, you know, why... Why would God, why can't God, why can't God just forgive? Why can't he just, you know, why, do, if he's God, if he's all good, and he's all-knowing, why can't he just, you know, give, you know, give people a clean slate? Or, or, or you know, by, by the end of someone's life, he just kind of says, eh, you know what, you're imperfect, you're a human, I understand. And it's easy for us to read a verse like this and to think, man, God just turned away from their evil just like that. But God can't do that. Instead of sweeping the sin of Nineveh under a rug, he poured it out on his son. God who is just and holy and who by no means will clear the guilty. Exodus 34. Instead of sweeping the sin of Nineveh under the rug, he poured it out on his son. You know, I can sometimes imagine Jesus reading the Old Testament, which, by the way, the Old Testament's a mess. You got little glimmers of hope in there, you know, but even the glimmers of hope kind of do, you know, you think David's awesome at first, and then he does something wild and sinful, and I, I, I can't help but to think Jesus reading the Old Testament uh, in, his, in his earthly life and, and, and just reading some of the, just the brokenness and, and the darkness and all of that and thinking to myself, I'm, I'm going to absorb all of it. You know, when he's reading about David's sin, he's thinking, that is going to, I'm, that's going to be poured out on me. When he's reading about Jonah and the Ninevites and how God turned away, look, it probably, you know, and again, I'm just, this is not anywhere written down in our Bibles. This is just me being imaginative right now, but just trying to help us understand, look, when I can imagine Jesus reading this and thinking, the Father turned away from them because he's going to turn his face away from me. Romans 3, 23 through 26. And look, we know this to be true. We know that God had passed over former sins, but God did not forget about those former sins. He just, he just had another object in mind to put those sins on. And it was going to be his infinite, worthy, righteous son. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. In other words, in God's divine forbearance, He had passed over all of the former sins that we read about in in the Old Testament. And it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Every bit of the sin of the people of Nineveh was absorbed by Christ because they believed God. Because they believed God. So God is just to turn and relent on the people of Nineveh, on Abraham, on Jacob, on Isaac, on Ruth, on David, on Solomon, on Samson, and the judges. He's just to pass over their former sins because they were all poured out on Christ to be received by faith. How great the pain of searing loss, writes the hymn writer. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. If you're here today and you want to know what will please God and bring you into a relationship with Him, it's not anything you can do. It is not the well-ordered life that you have lived. If you want to know what pleases God and, and, and makes Him look at you and say, my son, my daughter, justified, righteous, spotless, and clean. It is not anything. It has nothing to do with you. It is because of the faith that you put in Jesus. The reason why I can stand here today and tell other sinners about the grace of God is because I'm a sinner who has received and embraced through faith, the death and resurrection of the one who pleased God the most. God looked at Jesus at his baptism and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You could not be more pleasing to God than being in Christ. For God so loved, and this is not about making an angry deity happy, you know, uh, that God the Father is just angry and he just needs to be appeased like all the other Greek gods or Roman gods here. No, no, no. Because we read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, God the Father so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, the people of Nineveh have eternal life. We in Christ have eternal life. And anything less than Christ, anything more than Christ, takes away from Christ. And so I ask you, have you put your faith in Him? Do you believe in the one whom God put forward? Or are you still trying to put your best foot forward, thinking that God is going to accept it one day because it will outweigh everything else? Friends, that is not the case. God is too holy and too just. And so you can have the righteousness of Christ by putting your faith in Him. 
And I pray that each and every single one of you have done that. And if you have, then speak that faithfully to others. When we faithfully speak the word of God, people will hear and believe and hearts will be humbled and made new. And that's the goal. That's the goal. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can call upon you as Father because we are made your sons and daughters through your only Son. Lord, spur us on to faithfulness and and a zeal and an eagerness to, to speak your word. We've just read this morning that when, that when your people finally are faithful to what you've called them to do, that things that are impossible happen. So may we be encouraged, those who are your people, may we be encouraged and, and confronted and challenged to speak your message that you have given us. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't spend time in, in frivolous conversation in debate. Eternity is hanging in the balance. Lives are at stake. Help us to see that. Help us to have the heart also for the people that you have a heart for. May we not just keep the word of God in-house. And if there's anyone here who has not put their faith in the sufficient word made flesh, And I pray that that would happen, that that miracle would happen here today. Father, we love you. We thank you. May your grace be upon us. May you work all in us that which is pleasing in your sight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.